What did we learn in the previous two verses? At the beginning of the second juz? The verses are about the change of the qibla. When the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, how long did he pray in the direction of Baytul Maqdis? 16 or 17 months. How many years is that? A year and either 4 months or 5 months. After that, what happened? The verses were revealed in which the Prophet ﷺ and the believers were commanded to face which direction then? The Kaaba. What was the original Qibla from always? The Kaaba. So how come the Bani Israel prayed in the direction of Baytul Maqdis? There are two opinions concerning that. First of all, it is said that they were commanded to. Because we learn in the following verses, وَلِكُلِّنْ وِجْهَةٌ هُوَ مُوَلِّهَا That for each nation is a particular direction which it turns towards. Meaning that is a direction that it faces. And secondly, it is said that this is a change that they brought within the Sharia by themselves. Just like many other commands, they change themselves. Similarly, this as well, they altered by their own accord. Anyway, let's go back to the verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ Certainly, we saw the constant turning of your face where fissama into the sky. نَرَى نَرَى is from the root letters. رَى hamza يَا رَأْيٌ is to see something. نَرَى The noon at the beginning, it gives the meaning of we. So نَرَى we saw. And who does we refer to? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why is we being used for Allah? For what reason? This is the we of royalty, of honor. So indeed we saw taqalluba wajhika. Taqallub is from the root letters qaf lamba. Any word that you can think from the same root qaf lamba? Qalb. And what does qalb mean? Heart. What is your heart like? Is it still? No. It's constantly pumping. It's constantly moving. As long as it's moving, we're alive. Once it stops, we're gone. And if you think about it, the emotional heart as well, meaning our emotions, how are they? Are they constantly the same? No. They're constantly going up and down. Especially women. At one hour we're very happy, the other hour everybody's wondering, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? (laughs) Did somebody say something? So the state of the heart is constantly changing, up and down. It constantly turns about. So taqallub is the constant movement, the constant rotation, the constant going up and down, constantly going up and down. So we saw the constant movement of what? Wajhika, of your face. Wajh Of whose face? The face of the Prophet ﷺ. You refers to him. How is the Prophet ﷺ's face constantly turning about? Fissama, into the sky. So you can imagine somebody is looking down and every few minutes they look up. Every few seconds they look up. They're making dua and then they look up and they look down and then they look up. What does it show? You know when you're making dua or when you are thinking about something, when do you look up? When do you look up to the horizon? When you are talking to Allah, when you are hoping, when you're wishing, when you're desiring that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should send something your way, when He should accept your supplication. So the Prophet ﷺ, he constantly looked up to the sky in anticipation that Jibreel would come with the command that the Qibla has been changed. The Qibla has been changed to what? To Karba. We learned that when the Prophet ﷺ migrated from Makkah to Medina, that is when he was commanded to face Baytul Maqdis only. In Makkah he was able to face both Baytul Maqdis and Karba. But in Medina he couldn't do that anymore. And first of all, leaving Makkah was very hard on him. And secondly, not facing the Karba in prayer was even harder. 
And he knew that the final command was to be what? That he had to face the Kaaba in prayer. Because that was the original Qibla. And we know that all of the changes that people had brought previously, the religion was being restored. Meaning the religion was being revealed in its original form to the Prophet ﷺ to perfect the religion. So he knew that Ibrahim ﷺ's Qibla was the Kaaba. So obviously Muhammad ﷺ, his Qibla was also supposed to be the Kaaba. However, he was waiting for the command from Allah. And he really wanted to face the Kaaba. But he did not do so until Allah commanded him. So Allah is saying, We saw your constant turning of your face. We saw you looking up again and again. Every time you looked up, we saw you. Every time you hoped, we knew. We heard you. Look at the love in this. That every time the Prophet ﷺ looked up, Allah paid attention to him. Allah looked at his face. Allah responded to him. Remember that whenever we are making dua, Allah hears us. We're never too far from Allah. Never. Every time we make a dua, even if we utter something in our hearts, and we're not able to verbally say it with our mouths, but that yearning can be seen in the eyes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about it. We saw you every single time. So surely we will definitely turn you. What do you think the root letters are? Wow, lam, ya. The word seems very big, but if you break it up, it's easy to figure out what the root letters are. Fa means so, la, surely. Nu means we. Wow, lam, ya are the root letters. And nun with the shadda means definitely. And kaf means you. So surely we will definitely turn you into a qiblatan, into a direction that tardaha. You'll be very happy with it. Qiblatan, qaf balam, you know about this word already. And tardaha, ra, dad, ya, radiya. Radiya is to be happy with something. Radiya, to be happy with something. And tardaha, you will be happy with what? Ha it. And ha refers to the qibla. So we will definitely turn you, meaning we will command you to turn in the direction that you will be happy with. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet ﷺ that we will command you very soon that you should face the Kaaba in prayer. Now imagine, the Prophet ﷺ, he wanted to face the Kaaba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reassures him, don't worry, the command will come. And it will definitely come. How soon? This soon, فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ So turn your face. Just imagine. First of all, he's told, we know that you really want it. And we are going to give you the command. And just imagine if you're being told about this, that don't worry, somebody will come. And they will come soon. And all of a sudden they open the door and your friend walks in. How happy you would be. How excited you would be. So similarly, look at the sequence in the verse. Look at all of these statements. We will definitely give you the command. How? When? Right now. فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ So turn your face. Walli, same root. Wa'ulamiya. So turn your face. Shatara. In the direction of Al-Masjid Al-Haram, the sacred mosque. The word shatr is from the root letter shintara. And shatr means in the direction of something, towards something. And it's basically to face something from far. To face something from a distance. Not from very close, but from a distance. For example, if a person is standing right next to a wall and they're facing the wall, is the wall in their shatr? No. 
Why? Because the wall is right in front of them. But if for example, I'm standing all the way here and the wall that's all the way at the back of the hall, if I'm facing in the direction of the wall, then the wall is in my shatr. Why? Because I'm facing it from a very long distance. I'm not in front of it. Similarly, when we face the Kaaba, is the Kaaba right in front of us? No. How far is it? Miles and miles, kilometers and kilometers away from us. So when we stand in the direction of the Kaaba, it's in front of us in the sense that we are facing it. It's within the direction that we are facing. فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ الشَّطْرَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ So turn your face in the direction of Al-Masjid Al-Haram, the sacred masjid. Masjid, you know, is from sujood, the place of sajda, the place that has been officially made, officially designated for the purpose of prayer. For instance, the place that we are sitting at. And Al-Haram, Haramim. What do we know the word Haram as? It means something that is forbidden. Like, for example, alcohol is Haram. What does it mean? Can you drink it? No, you can't. Can you put it in your food? Just a little bit of it. No, you can't. You can't eat it. You cannot consume it. Why? Because it's haram. You have to stay away from it. Similarly, animals that are haram, can we eat them? No, we can't eat them. So, haram means something that is forbidden, something that you can't do. Why is it that the masjid that is around the Kaaba, that is called haram? Because certain things are forbidden over there. It's called Masjid al-Haram. Why? Because certain things are forbidden over there. You cannot do certain things there. Can you think of something that is not allowed over there? Killing people? Even if there is a criminal who goes and hides in Makkah, can you kill him? Can you punish him? No, you can't. Scholars have said that you can't punish even that criminal who has taken refuge in Makkah. What you have to do is that you don't talk to him, you don't deal with him, you don't interact with him, you have a complete boycott with him, so he's forced to leave Makkah. Because he's hungry, he's going to die otherwise. So when he leaves Makkah, then you deal with him. Imagine. What else is forbidden over there? Cutting of trees. That is not permissible. What else is forbidden over there? Fighting with one another. Humiliating another person. What else is forbidden over there? Hunting. Killing animals is also forbidden over there. Except for just a few, which we are informed about which are harmful to people, only those are allowed to be killed. But other than that, a person cannot kill animals over there. No hunting is allowed over there. So this is the reason why that masjid is called Al-Masjid Al-Haram. Because certain things are forbidden there. Another reason why it's called Masjid Al-Haram is because Haram as in Muhtaram, meaning one that is sacred, one that has to be respected, one that we have to show a lot of respect to, we have to take that place very seriously. If you go to any other place, you can hang out there, talk, whatever, do whatever you feel like. But when you go to the sacred masjid, you have to show respect to that place. Every masjid deserves respect. But al-masjid al-haram deserves even more respect, even more care, even more attention from us. So anyway, we see that in this ayah, the Prophet ﷺ is given the command finally, فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ الشَّطْرَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ Just imagine how happy the Prophet ﷺ would have been. When he would have received these words. How happy, how satisfied, how relieved, how content he would have been. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says very truly that tardaha, you will be happy with it, you will be pleased with it. And then the believers are addressed that wahaythuma kuntum. Haythu, where, haythu is used for place. Haythu, where, ma, this is extra. Ma is extra over here. And remember that any extra word, what it means by that is, 
that it will not be understood in its literal sense in the context. It will not be understood in its literal sense in the context. So ma generally means what? What? Right? It means what? Do you translate this as what over here? No. Sometimes you translate ma as not. Do you translate this as not? You don't. So why is ma here then? If we don't understand it in its literal sense, what's the purpose? The purpose is to emphasize what is being mentioned. So حَيْسُمَا meaning wheresoever, any place. حَيْسُمَا any place at all. Wheresoever you are, حَيْسُمَا kuntum. Notice the word kuntum. You see the ta and the meme? This ta and meme is for plural. You all. Now, previously we learned that فَوَلِّ Walli is singular. فَوَلِّ wajhaka. wajhaka. Only the Prophet ﷺ is being told that you face the Kaaba in prayer. Now, kuntum, all the believers. Meaning, all the believers also face the Kaaba in prayer. وَحَيْثُ مَا كُنْتُمْ فَوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ شَطْرَةً Wujuh is the plural of wajh. So, first the Prophet ﷺ was told separately, and then the believers are also commanded that all of you have to do this. وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ But obviously, when the command would be given and the Muslims would pray in the direction of the Kaaba, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said earlier, سَيَقُولُ سُفَهَاءُ مِنَ النَّاسِ The people will start objecting. So when the objections begin, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to think? What should you know? That وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ And indeed those people who أُوتُوا kitab, They were given the book. أُوتُوا hamzataya. Those people who have been given the book, meaning the Jews and the Christians, لَيَعْلَمُونَ Surely they know. عَيْن لَمِيمُ they know. What do they know? That أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ That indeed it is the truth. مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ From their Lord. What is the truth? Facing the Kaaba in prayer. That Makkah Kaaba is the original Qibla. They know that this is the truth from their Lord. They know that when you are facing the Kaaba, this is not out of your own desire, but rather Allah has commanded you. How do they know? Because they had the Kitab. And in the kitab, we learn from the Qur'an, in their scriptures, it was mentioned very clearly about who? About the coming of the final messenger. And not just about his coming, but also about his name, and about his signs, about his characteristics, about what he will do. So they knew him very clearly. And of the signs, of the descriptions that they were informed of, was that he will face the qibla of who? Of Ibrahim a.s. So when the Prophet ﷺ was told to face the Kaaba, this was not something new for the Yahud. It was not something new for them at all. وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ لَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّهُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ They knew it was the truth. But then why did they object? They were just trying to show that the Prophet ﷺ was not the true Prophet. They were trying to create a propaganda that look, one day he's following this qibla, the other day he's following the other qibla, he doesn't know what he's doing, don't follow him. Whereas they knew exactly that this was supposed to happen. So they were pretending as if they didn't know anything, as if the Prophet ﷺ was wrong. Why? To lead other people astray. وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ لَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّهُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ Now, in the Qur'an we learn that they knew. Is there any evidence that tells us that they knew? Yes. For example, if you look at the people who embraced Islam, who embraced Islam at the hands of the Prophet ﷺ. Amongst them were those who were mushrikeen, amongst them were also those who were previously Yahud and Nasara. For example, Salman Farsi. When he came to Medina, you know why he came to Medina? He was told by his teacher that the final messenger is going to come. So you go to a place 
which is like this and like this. He gave him the description. You go there and the final messenger will come there. So he was on his way to Medina. He went to a group of people who were traveling. He said, please take me with you in your group. And they said, okay, fine. They took him and they sold him as a slave. And then he was gifted by the owner to somebody else. And he actually ended up in Medina with his master, who was Jewish. So when he was in Medina, he was very relieved that this is the place where I was supposed to come anyway. So anyway, he was in Medina. And when the Prophet ﷺ came, he went to see him, obviously. He wanted to know who he was, what he was saying, what he was teaching. And what the Prophet ﷺ said, what he taught, made perfect sense to Salman al-Farisi. But he didn't accept just like that. He tested the Prophet ﷺ. You know how? Through the signs that he knew the last messenger would possess. The description that he knew the final messenger would possess. Of them was that he does not accept charity. The final messenger does not accept charity. So you know what he did, Salman al-Farisi? He went to the Prophet ﷺ one day and he said, these are some dates and they are sadaqah, they are for charity. So the Prophet ﷺ, he gave it to the people. He didn't take any of it. The next day, Salman al-Farisi came again and he said, these are some dates and they're a gift for you. So the Prophet ﷺ then ate it. So Salman al-Farisi knew that definitely he is a Prophet ﷺ. So he tested him one sign after the other. And finally, he wanted to see the mark of the seal of the prophets which was on the back of the Prophet ﷺ. It was a clear mark. You know like how we have a mole on our skin like a black mark. So similarly, on his back was a mark that said Muhammad Rasulullah ﷺ. It was a part of his body. It was like a mark on his back. So Salman Farsi wanted to see that to be certain that yes indeed he is the final messenger. So he was going, you know, after the Prophet ﷺ, looking here and there, trying to look. And the Prophet ﷺ knew that he, this is what he's trying to see. So the Prophet ﷺ lowered his upper garment a little bit so that he could see. Salman Farsi saw. And he was certain. He was absolutely sure. So if Salman Farsi believed in the Prophet ﷺ, then what does it mean? What does it prove? That he was definitely the Prophet ﷺ. He was definitely the final messenger that the Ahlul Kitab were waiting for. So if they did not accept him, if they did not believe in him, then they are the ones who are at fault. So Allah says, وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ لَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّهُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ They know that it is the truth from their Lord because they knew about the sign. They have it in their scripture. But obviously, when a person states one lie, if he has to cover up that lie, does he end up uttering more lies? Yes. For example, a kid says to the mother, I never did this. Who did this then? So and so did it. You know, when such and such happened, they did this. So they make up a whole story. One lie leads to many other lies. One crime leads to many other crimes. So when they, first of all, rejected the Prophet ﷺ knowingly, obviously they had to do something to cover up their fault. What did they do? They altered their scripture. They concealed the signs that were mentioned in the book that were very clear. So Allah says, وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ And Allah is not at all unaware. عَمَّا يَعْمَلُونَ From what they do. Allah is not at all unaware of what they do. Every single action they do, whether it's concealing a part of the book, altering something, whatever it is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about it fully and completely. And the thing is, يَعْمَلُونَ Amal. Amal is of different types. There are some actions that we do with our hearts. For example, the feelings, the thoughts, the intentions. This is what action of the heart. There are other actions that we do with our tongue. For example, what we say. And there are other actions that we do with our limbs, with our jawarih. 
any kind of action, whether it is of the heart, of the tongue, or the limbs. Who knows about it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows completely about it. What do we learn in this verse? First of all, we see in this verse, قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees. He sees us. He sees, He watches every single movement, every single gesture of ours. Whether we do it secretly or openly, whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally. Any action we do, any movement we make, whether it is looking somewhere, lifting up our head, lowering our head, constantly moving, anything we do, Allah watches us. قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ So what does it mean? That we should be careful about our actions. The Prophet ﷺ was looking up to the sky. Allah saw him. If we look at someone, if we look at something, whether it is somebody's test paper, which we should not be looking at, or it should be non-mahram and unrelated man, and we're constantly staring at him, constantly glancing at him, constantly looking at him with wrong feelings, who knows about it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Somebody's trying to type in their password. They don't know we're looking. And we try to look. Who's watching our eyes? Allah is watching our eyes. People may not find out, but who is looking? Allah is looking. Then we also learn in this verse that a person may look up to the sky, and this is not bad etiquette with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning this is not being disrespectful towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, you have this deep desire in your heart, you want something, you want something to be done, and you're making dua constantly. You don't even have the words to say it. You just look up to the sky, and you're just talking in your heart with Allah. It's perfectly fine. You're allowed to do that. It's not disrespectful to your Lord. However, when you are praying salah, when you are standing in prayer, then you cannot look up to the sky. Remember that. When we are praying salah, we cannot look up. That is something that's not allowed. Where are we supposed to look in salah? Down at the place of sajda. Or the maximum we can do is look at the imam. If we're standing right behind the imam. Or, for example, if a person is praying salah in the courtyard of the haram, right around the Kaaba, and the Kaaba is right before him, then he may glance at that. However, looking up at the sky or looking elsewhere is not something that is allowed. For example, when we're standing in prayer, can we stare at our elbow, shoulder, the other person's socks, their skirt, or their pants? Can we look at them? No. Their toes? No. We can't do that. What about the pattern on the prayer mat? Can we look at that? No, we can't look at that. Where are you supposed to look? At the place of sajda. Because as long as you're focused with your eyes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will listen to you. He will pay attention to you. But if you look here, and then you look again, then Allah will turn away from you. Then Allah will not listen to you then. Meaning He will not respond to you. So if we want that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should accept our prayers, our du'as, then what should we do? Remain focused in the salah even with our eyes. Another important lesson that we learn in this verse is about the obedience of the Prophet ﷺ to his Lord. How obedient he was to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We know very clearly that he desperately wanted to face the Kaaba in salah. He wanted to do that. And he knew that eventually the command would be given to him. But did he face the Kaaba out of his own accord? No, he did not do it. He did not do it until Allah commanded him. Until he was given the orders. Until he was given the clear instruction. This is called servitude. This is called obedience. That you even make your desires, 
your wishes, even if they're genuine, even if they're very good, under the command of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you keep everything of yours, your wishes, your desires, everything under the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is true servitude. And this is something that we see very clearly in the Prophet wasallam. Then we also learn in this verse about the obligation of facing the Kaaba in prayer. Because in this verse we learn, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the Prophet ﷺ, فَوَلِّي وَجْهَكَ And then to the believers, وَحَيْتُ مَا كُنْتُمْ Wherever you are. So when we are praying salah, what direction are we supposed to face? The Kaaba. This is something that is mandatory. And this is actually a condition of iqamatu salah. A condition of the acceptance of prayer. Just like wudu is a condition. Can you pray without tahara? Can you pray without wudu? No, you can't. Will your salah be valid? No. Similarly, if you don't bother to figure out where the qibla is and you pray in any direction, is your salah acceptable? No, it's not. It's a condition for salah. And wherever a person may be, because look at the word haythuma, anywhere you are, any place, whether it's on the earth or in air or in the water, wherever you are, when you're praying salah, face the karba. That qibla you have to face. And this is a prerequisite for salah. There are some exceptions though. When you are exempted from facing the karba, from facing the proper qibla. The first is, when a person is performing voluntary prayers, when a person is traveling. For example, you're sitting in the car, and you're like, you know what, I'm just sitting, waiting to get to my destination. I can't read, don't know what to read. I don't have 3G, so I can't even check my email. So you don't know what to do. You don't want to waste your time. So you think, okay, might as well pray enough. I have my wudu. But then you're like, I'm not standing and I don't know where the qibla is. And besides, even if you know where the qibla is, it's behind you and you're going the other direction. Can you face, can you turn the direction of the car? No, if you do that, you won't get to your destination. So, in nafal salah, voluntary salah, it's not a condition that you face the qibla. It doesn't matter. If the vehicle or your car or your animal, whatever, it changes direction, you don't have to bother to change it back into the direction of the Qibla. But this is what? Voluntary prayers. The second exception is at the time of extreme fear when it's not possible that a person faces the Qibla. What does it mean by that? Inshallah, we will learn in the Qur'an about Salatul Khawf, the fear prayer. We know that when the Muslims that were in Medina, they were attacked many times by external forces, by external enemies. And many times they had to go outside of Medina in order to fight the battle. Now imagine, the enemy is in front of you, and you have to pray salah. The army is camped here, the other army is camped on the side, and the qibla is this direction. So if you're facing the qibla, then the enemy can come from your back and attack you and finish you. So this is the situation of extreme fear. So, at this time, it's not necessary that people face the Qibla. Likewise, the person is trying to escape from somewhere. If he knows that by the time he'll reach the destination, the time of Salah will be over. He has to pray. So he will pray in whatever direction he's facing. He doesn't have to figure out where the Qibla is. He doesn't need to face the Qibla in whatever direction he can just pray. That's the second exception. The third exception is, when a person is unable to face the Qibla due to extreme illness due to being very, very sick. He's not able to face the Qibla. So for example, a person is in a hospital. He's lying down on the bed. He cannot even sit up. And the Qibla is the other direction completely. Is he supposed to sit up on the other side so that he can face the Qibla? No. He's not required to do that. Wherever he's lying down, wherever he's sitting, he can pray right there and then. He doesn't have to face the Qibla. 
These are the three exceptions. Now, what if you are in a mall and it's time for salah? You go down somewhere into an empty corner. There's very few people over there. So you figure out you can pray there. You're like, I don't know where the qibla is. Let me just pray facing the wall. Can you do that? You cannot do that. You cannot face a direction unless and until you are sure that that is the qibla. You cannot say whatever. Allah will accept it. No. You have to figure out to the best of your ability. Okay, let's say you figured out according to the best of your ability the qibla was a particular way. You prayed. And then later on you realize no, it was somewhere else. Is it your fault? No. Do you have to repeat the salah? No. Why? Because when you were facing that direction you were certain that that was the qibla. Afterwards you found out you were not at fault. But this shows that we cannot pray in any direction when we are confused. For example, in an airplane, you are unable to face the Qibla. Just like a sick person is unable to face the Qibla. Even if he tries to, he cannot. But if a person is going on a car, then what can he do? He can always stop, pull over and stand and pray and get back on the car and go away. So the point is that you cannot play guesswork when it comes to the Qibla. When it comes to Fard Salah, then you cannot pray in the car. You have to stop and pray. So with regards to the Qibla, whenever you face the Qibla, you have to be certain that this is the right Qibla. Whether or not it is, you decided, you figured out to the best of your ability. Now tell me, how will you figure out which way is the Qibla? What can you do? The next time you go to the mall and it's time to pray, your father is still not here to pick you up and you're like, by the time I'll get home, I'll miss my salah. What are you going to do? How will you figure out which way the Qibla is? The most easy thing to do is that if you have a good phone, if you have an iPod, if you have a phone on which you can get an app which tells you which way the directions are, buy that. First of all, there are many that are free. If you can't find a free version, buy it. How much will it be? $2? $3? Maximum $5? Tell me, have you not bought a pizza for $2? Have you not bought a coffee and a muffin for $3 and more? When it comes to buying apps, unfortunately we become very, oh my God, $2? 99 cents? I'm not getting it. You buy a coffee for more than that. You buy a bottle of water for more than that many times. So if it's something that is useful, something that will help you figure out which way the Qibla is, buy that. Keep that on your phone. Another very easy way is that Alhamdulillah in this country, we know which way is north, which way is south, which way is east, which way is west, according to the main streets. So for example, if you are somewhere and you can't figure out which way is north, east, south, because you don't know, like me, so you ask other people. You ask them. And there are many people who know about it, especially people who go to driving who know about all of their directions. You can always ask them, could you please let me know which way north is, which way south is, which way east is? And they'll let you know, inshallah. So that's a very easy way. Another way that you can use to figure out where the Qibla is, that you're outside. You're outside. And you see that the sun is up. You know that the sun rises from where? East. And the sun sets where? West. But... The sun is somewhere here. You don't know if it's going here or there or here or there. How do you figure out which way the shadow is? So look at a tree. Which way is the shadow? You'll figure out the sun is here. If it's the beginning of the day, the sun is rising. If it's towards the end of the day, after the the sun is setting. Okay? So then you'll figure out where east is, where west is. And then, obviously, where's north? Where's south? Behind you. Right? So you'll figure out which way north is. And according to that, 
where northeast is, and then in that direction you pray. So these are three simple ways through which you can figure out where, in what direction the Qibla is. And also one more easy thing we can do is that many prayer mats you can actually get with the compass in it, right? They have that. So if you have one of those, you can keep that in your car. So anytime you're somewhere out and you can't figure out, just pull that out and you know where to face. Fard salah, you cannot pray in a car. You have to pray standing. Unless you are unable to. You're ill, you're sick, your foot is injured, you cannot stand, your knee is injured, you cannot stand. So you have to sit down and pray, you have to lie down and pray, or you're in a plane, there's no way you can stand. So in that situation, you are forced to sit and pray. You're not going to pull over on the highway. That's not allowed unless in an extremely severe situation. And it's not safe to stand on the side of the highway and pray there either. So what you're going to do is, you know from before that it's going to be Maghrib time soon. So before you get onto the next stretch of highway, pray. Wait till Maghrib Salah, pray. And if you know you can meet the next stop, you can get to the next stop before the time of Maghrib expires, then you get there and pray. You should plan ahead. If you are lying down and your feet are towards the Qibla, is that something that's not allowed? Is that forbidden? It's not forbidden. If you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. But don't say that it's haram. Unless you have an evidence. For example, if your room is such that you can only put your bed in a particular direction, and if you put it there, your feet are going to be in the direction of the qibla, there's nothing wrong with that. If we try to forbid it, there has to be some proof, some evidence of it. One more important thing that we learn in this verse is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Allah is not at all unaware of what they do. What does it show? That whenever we're praying, don't just guesstimate. Because Allah knows about what you're doing. Allah knows about the intention of your heart. How much effort you've put in. So figure out which way the qibla is to the best of your ability. And when you find out, for example, in the middle of the salah, which way the qibla is, then what do you do? Change your direction. In salah. We learned that a person from Banu Salama, he was going somewhere and he saw a group of people, they were praying. Their Fajr Salah. And they were facing still Baytul Maqdas. And they had prayed one rak'ah by then. So he said to them that, listen, the qibla has been changed. And they turned in the direction of the Kaaba in their salah. So for example, you're standing in prayer in your friend's house. And your friend walks in and she says, I told you the qibla was on the other side. So then what do you do? Break your salah? No. Do you ignore her, complete your salah and then yell at her at the end? No. What do you do? You change your qibla right there and then. Let's listen to the recitation. قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ فَلَنُوَلِّيَنَّكَ قِبْلَةً تَرْضَاهَا فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ شَطَرَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ وَحَيْثُ مَا كُنْتُمْ فَوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ شَطْرَهُ وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ لَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّهُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا يَعْمَلُونَ